think I broke Genesee. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I'm Genesee. I'm Eric. I'm Daniel. I'm Kevin. And I wasn't sure if the button was going to work or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Tintian. And this is Death Before Dishonor. Today is Friday, August 31st, and this is episode 70 in a weekly series following a group of friends playing Dungeons and Dragons, hosted by the Gray Area Podcast. And we have a little bit of news at the beginning, unusually so. And this is for all of you guys. I'm going to spring it on you uh, as a surprise. We have a listener called Dylan James who wants to find out the best way to start playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and he was giving me messages on Gray Area Podcast, and I thought I would pass it on to all of you and not have him write you, just tell him live, and any other listeners that possibly have friends that haven't played, or maybe just want to get into a another game. So suggestions for how to start. I've got a good one. Don't. It gives you gray hairs. <laughs> <laughs> Never, ever play. That's your trying, suggestion? Trying to set it all up. That, that kills you. You lose all social life, and then... No, that's only if you play with Daniel. It's true. It's mm-hmm. really true. Mm-hmm. If there's a particular genre of books that he likes to read in terms of fantasy or science fiction, um, go to the mainstays. If he likes fantasy, go out, find a D&D module at like a Barnes and Nobles. Try to flip through it. Um, sometimes RPG drive through, something like that. One of the sites of tends to have, um, little modules that are snippets of the, of the bigger books. Um, to read summaries and things like that. If you want to play fantasy um, in terms of science fiction, sorry, if you want to play science fiction, I would definitely look at uh, Palladium Books and their Rift series. There's so much content there that um, you pretty much will get lost. And those two, I would point you to directly. Find yourself a book. Find something that is interesting to you in the catalog, either by title or perhaps what you want to play. And just pick it up and then read through it. You don't have to necessarily understand it the first couple of times, but pick it up, pick up a couple of dice, grab a couple of friends. Um, don't compete with us for podcasts, but whatever. <laughs> and uh, just try it out and realize that you do not have to be perfect in any sense of the word, even you know as you go forward. It's the experience of bringing people together, having some Mountain Dew, some Fritos, whatever else you want to have. And don't put them together, though. Yeah, yeah, they get a little, they get a little soggy. It's yeah, mm, no. Mm. Well, so what you're advocating basically is just to to read the worlds and get familiar with it and basic rules because I think that they're looking for an actual how do you find players to play with you and how do you find a place to sit down and begin the game rather than just research through. Go look at your local comic shop. We we're lucky in that nearby we have a place called the Guild and. uh there you can rent tables out and post boards and, you know, find players and stuff like that. But largely your your biggest source of potential players is going to be go to a comic shop and post something there. Most comic shops will have a place or know somebody that is looking to do something along those lines. If at absolute worst um, you're not having any luck there, I don't know if I can necessarily advocate it, but you could do something like a Craigslist ad. Hey, you can do RPG.net, for or there's other places that advertise local groups for you um, that are based on RPGs. And the comic stores do have lists in the back usually for games to sign up and nights to just show up, mm-hmm. and then they'll form groups. Uh, 
And if you're really desperate, you can go to the D&D website uh, at wizardsofthecoast.com and they've actually got a, a, a searcher there, so you can actually see where D&D nights are being held um, in local areas. Like, yeah, yeah um, uh, you can, like the other guy said, go to game shops or whatever. I mean, I started my group actually um, just by going to the local game shop and saying, hey, I'm interested in running D&D or playing D&D. And, uh, you know, they say, well, that's cool. We've had about six other people say that they want to play as well. Um, and then they'll put you in touch and, you know, you set up a group. Yeah, that, like Daniel was saying, on uh, check out Wizards, because they actually run, like, sanctioned events and things like that. I've never actually been to any of them, but I've heard that they're very sort of uh, new person friendly and uh, welcoming for, for new people and ready to teach. And they're usually, um, I think they often come with, like, pre-built characters, so you don't have to worry about that at first. You know, they'll provide you with that and you can get into just playing. Um, another resource that I've looked into and haven't actually explored personally because actually, cause I found you guys, but, uh, meetup.com has, it's a general sort of place where people can form groups, you know, it's set to specific regions for all kinds of different things. And I've seen a few that are for, uh, either board, like gaming in general or D and D specifically. So you might have luck there finding something near you specifically. All good ideas. So hopefully that will help Dolan James to begin. And I think his idea is good. Basically, uh, he's looking on Twitter and talking to people that also play in other podcasts and trying to find those answers. So I, th- I think mm-hmm. if you make contacts that already play, people have a, a good enough network that eventually you'll find somebody close enough, hopefully, to get together with. Or you could do the Skype game like we do. You want to Thank you for contacting us. Or you, if you really want to go old school, you can go 80s. And what you do is you get a Ouija board and you sit down and you like try and like summon demons because, one. yeah, well, you summon demons because that's what Dungeons and Dragons is really all about. It's true. You know, you know, that's what the 80s taught us. Actually, if you, you know, want to be really, really old school is um, if you've got a library that actually has D&D books in it, go hover around the stacks, see who else is uh, trying to not pretend that they're interested in those stacks. <laughs> go up and talk to them and try and see if you can find out. That's, uh, that's you also can, good. You can, Stalking? You're advocating stalking the RPG? No, no. It's just everyone. Everyone is so interested in those, but they don't want to be classified as the nerd by going and actually looking at them. That you know, eventually you find the. the... <laughs> That's mm-hmm. a good point. Break the stigma, people. Break the stigma. I agree. Fight All the power. Suggestions. Okay, our other really big announcement is that Destiny for Dishonor is going to be joining the Signals Media All Star Network where we, the Gray Area podcast will be, and where Super Number One will be, and other fine shows that I'm really proud to be a part of. And this will be good for us because you can go to this one site and hopefully listen to some of your favorite shows. Hopefully you listen to those two as well. Get them all together. And eventually we will have the option of forums, which is what really excites me because I think uh, it'd be good for us to have a chance to interact. Uh, you can interact with the cast. We can interact with listeners and have some dialogue rather than just tweets on occasion. So hopefully this will be a fun place to hang out and have discussions about all sorts of gaming, and uh, eventually that will come out. Right now you can find... Yeah, they're excited. <laughs> they're excited about that. Go Annie. Yeah. Right now you can find that at signalsmedia.com. Um, you can see we have a basic page there. It's like the beginning stages of being built. And uh, eventually we will have bios of all the cast and information for them and forums too so yay 
Network. Yay. Huzzah. Huzzah. And Converge Raid is, is the podcast that has formed this, and they are an awesome show, too. So mm-hmm. I think you should listen to all of them. But now the news is done. So we will catch up on where we were, because for us, it's been three weeks. For you, you haven't missed anything. But uh, for us, it's going to be a little fun time recalling what the heck is going on. So Dungeon Master, work your evil. <laughs> okay. As Xanatari said, it's been three weeks so far. Um, the first part of this series has gotten pretty good reviews from what I can see online, which is very nice. And uh, the last episode for us uh, three weeks ago will be coming out on Monday. So that should definitely make some people's holidays a little more fun instead of just barbecuing and actually enjoying the end of summer or at the. What? Instead of Thorn enjoying the start of summer, because yeah, it's like that. Seasons. In any case, uh, in the last episode, two of the party are aware of what's going on in terms of the vizier and his serpent uh, servant, and two of the party are not. I believe it was Caesar and Mithrin who are aware of the goings on. Uh, I know Cesar was aware. Mm-hmm. I believe I was, yes. Yeah, I, was I think. searching for shadows or something when we ended and trying to figure out what was up, but I don't think I knew. <laughs> no, you didn't I make your... I uh, a, a 20 on a perception check at some point, so I was aware of something, but I'm not sure what. He's still trying yeah. to sell his gem, his cheap knockoff gem. <laughs> yeah. Xanatari uh, didn't make the um, skills challenge before uh, getting a bunch of failures, but... Okay, so moving onwards, there's a slight pause in the activity as the uh, servant who is standing next to the vizier is, um, and I'm saying this from the viewpoint right now, starting of uh, Thorn and Xanatari, sort of gives a slight bow and um, you sort of notice that the fruit and everything else that's been on this tray is... Everybody will notice this, or at least those two, um, is less than what it was before. In fact, the tray is almost empty. So um, the servant sort of kind of gives a bow, takes a few steps back, and uh, turns around and walks away, maybe to go get some more fruit. Not probably accustomed to being either alone or without a servant nearby, another servant uh, quickly steps forward, and uh, this one has a very large tray of fruits. Uh, you know, very fresh, very nice looking. Um, good snacks. But um, this one, dressed the same as the other, and uh, takes the position of the um, prior servant. You will notice, uh, if you decide to pay attention, and I'm going to give this basically a free perception check to Thorn and Sanitary, the spot where the servant is standing appears to be well-worn, actually indented as if uh, there's been a lot of feet standing in this area for a while. Perhaps this will give you an indication that this city is actually quite old. It was belief uh, last episode or the previous episode that Maybe there were some prior owners to the city and, and so forth. For 
Mithrin and Caesar. What you see actually is the servant who uh, has the um, tattoo of murderer across the front gets a very green then kind of ashen paler and two minotaurs um, that you can see come up and grab the servant as he starts to fall backwards, the eyes roll in the back of the head, and there's sort of kind of like gurgling slurp, final slurp, slurp. <laughs> they rip the um, tube out of the skull, or out of the back of the skull of the servant. One drags him away. The other goes and um, is still sort of dragging this long tube along the ground. Goes over to a... Uh, flagstone, large, you know, sort of stone, maybe a well cap type thing, opens it, reaches in, pulls out another um, human being. This one has murder also tattooed, but there's other tattoos on there, um, you know, different crimes. Mm. Drags him over, clearly sedated, <clears throat> but uh, proceeds to shove the um, the tube um, puts kind of a there's a sort of spiky end shoves it into and up into the base of the skull of uh, this humanoid. So he's now in the matrix, right? Yes, <laughs> I was thinking that too. Seven Seven Eleven has now changed uh, has now changed the the Slurpee mix. Gotcha. Um, for everyone involved, there is a kind of moment as if there is a pressure equalization, uh, sort of a sound like you're kind of clearing a compressed airline, and then you hear very faintly kind of a sort of something along the lines of a slurp slurp. <laughs> the, he doesn't like that either. The vizier has, uh, with the hand that seems to have some degree of movement, has appeared to have reached over and grabbed one of the strawberries. For Mithrin and Caesar, his ass hasn't moved at all. Now, going to Caesar, hmm. you were determined to move this process along, were you not? And I believe that you had deposited money, had it verified... The vizier has your complete attention. Mm -hmm. This miserable creature looks at you, and you and Mithrin hear a different voice, but the same content is heard by Thorn and Xanatari. We have procedures for what you ask for. We need to know what makes the man sort of glances sideways towards Anatari, but not disrespectfully at all. Maybe a little lower in terms of station, but it is the same look that would be given to Thorn or Mithrin or those who have not presented money at this point in time. I've been classified as equal to the, the fake gem seller. <laughs> well... <laughs> Right now, money talks, and so far, uh, G Money has not put up much on there aside from the uh, the gem. Whereas Cesar, he is 
completely rolling the large 40 He's degree He's making mo- it rain. I see how it is. <laughs> he is making it rain. He has the 40, the 40 ounce malt liquor. He is. The, the illusion makes him look like the Monopoly man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's like sitting here, like twirling his rain. mustache and. <laughs> he's yeah. got a monocle and he's like, ah, oh, like a sir, you know. <laughs> yes, he he's he suddenly got the diamond and platinum studded grill. It's it's kind of sad on a seventy eight year old guy. Seventy five. Um, <laughs> seventy five, yeah. For as long as it's taken for you guys to get across a cornfield someday, <laughs> you're probably seventy eight by now. I just oh, really want to see like like your seventy five year old dentures that say cash money. <laughs> you know, that's that's the grills. Yeah, he switches them out. I like yep. it. You can make them say different things. That's right. Mm-hmm. Get the nice LED. How many words can you spell with those letters? <laughs> He's an artificer. Trust me, he can find a way. He takes the teeth out to spell different words. You may, you just may not like the uh, the font size. Um, <laughs> we like to know the metal of the man or woman. We like to know who we are letting in. You understand by the nature, slurp, slurp, of this entire city, that we value trade. We value many things. Some things may not be exactly worth money. Your name, sir, slurp, slurp. Ah, that'd be Cesar. Cesar. We could ask you to tell us about yourself, but we have more pressing ways of making you tell us. Sorry. <laughs> to cut to the chase, yes, sanitary. We do. There is a procedure, magical, hands-on, at your control that we need you to undertake. Each of you, perhaps. Are you willing? Yeah, let's just get it over with. Come on. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't have too many years He's left. He's like, I'm so. not getting younger. Yeah. I'll be 78 soon. <laughs> <laughs> that, honey out, that honey out there is costing massive platinum by the hour. That's right. All right. Uh, Cesar, a chair... <clears throat> Very ornate. Um, this one actually looks like a ornate chair to both Mithrin and Xanatari's group. Um, and puts it in front of the table. You are instructed to sit in the chair. And uh, the figure in the chair, the vizier, extends his hand open into a palm you know, sort of palm up uh, gesture and indicates that you are to take his hand. All right. Cesar sits and takes his hand. Okay. Any precautions you are taking? No. Okay. There is, um, and we're going to be doing this somewhat a little differently today. Uh, As far as what... Xanatari, Thorn, and Mithrin at this point see is they see uh, Cesar sit, take the hand, perhaps 10 seconds pass, and then Cesar's hand is released and we will continue on with the episode. 
This is going to be the same case for any of you that wish to participate. Basically, there's just a moment where there's a touch, done, and moving on. However, there's a little deeper content for each each of you to accomplish tonight. Cesar? Hmm. Um, a couple weekends ago, a couple weeks ago, I gave you some homework, and uh, the other day I gave you a reminder. What they're looking for is how does Cesar account for Cesar? If Cesar was dirt poor, if Cesar was the most rich and powerful man, that sort of thing. What is deep down beyond any sort of bluffing or intimidation or anything along those lines? What makes Cesar, you know, go? What, you know, just describe Cesar, talk about him for a bit. If you sort of think that right now he's an artificer, he's kind of badass, he's getting out of the slave pits, but his aspirations are X, Y, Z. What does he see himself as? Hmm. Describe that, that sort of thing. Let's say, in a word, probably the best word to describe Cesar would be curious. He's always trying to figure out how things work, especially not not so much the inner workings of people, but things, as we've seen, he's constantly building, taking apart, things like that. Uh, he, you know, was struck by that at a very young age, despite the oppression that he was born and raised under, and uh, sought out opportunities to explore, uh, despite, you know, the risk of severe punishment, the most severest, quite easily being death, but due to, you know, a few uh, chance encounters and things like that that I've discussed in the past, he was able to escape death and use that curiosity, you know, to the greatest extent that he could while he was a slave. Uh, and he eventually got it to the point where he was able to use it to free himself. Um, so he is pretty much looking for always trying to find new things in terms of exploring uh, the inner workings of machines or just even simple objects working within and sometimes outside of the sort of bounds of the physical world and, you know, occasionally relying on the arcane world, but mostly sort of tinkering with the sort of the fabric of the physical world specifically and using that to sort of produce effects that most others would see as arcane. Uh, and uh, I would say that in terms of a projection of where this could take him, uh, sort of a dream, if you will, of his uh, him at his pinnacle, his the peak of his life. Uh, I just picture just picture the man standing, sur- literally surrounded by whirring constructs of all kinds, big and small, flying, crawling, uh, hovering, just all around him, all created by him, all serving a, a certain purpose, whether it be pure entertainment or something, you know, more uh, functional, such as defense or, or things like that. Um, picture him living in a, in a house or a, maybe something larger, a manor, something like that which is also entirely basically a construct uh, in a sense, kind of like, you know, the, the house of tomorrow that you always see in like old fifties 
you know, where the, the wash, the laundry does itself, but it's literally every aspect of the house is, is to that point. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> to the point where the house itself can fly or walk. Uh, he, uh, and then in terms of maybe specific things he could have, uh, you know, since he is so far along in his lifespan, um, develop certain ways, maybe not quite what you'd call a cyborg, but having, devices that could aid him uh such as i don't know if any of you have seen i know some of you have seen the new batman movie but the uh the magical knee brace that he gets from the uh, that uh you know basically just fixes his knee instantly you know things like that that could supplement you know any issues that would come from you know the life that he's led the age that he's at and the the adventures that he's going to certainly be embarking, you know, currently and in the future, you know, maybe a back brace, knee braces, uh, hearing aids that aren't just hearing aids, but, you know, maybe add like sonar hearing capabilities, things like that, though, rest assured, he won't need aid in a specific department that you may be concerned about at his age. That's all natural. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> I like the illusion, um, and we're going to get a little mythology here for a moment, but I uh-huh. like the uh, folklore, at least. I like the allusion to Baba Yaga's uh, chicken-legged hut. Yeah, there you go. In terms of your uh, moving house and there stuff you go. like that. Um, Anyone else that wants to find that, go look up some Russian folklore. <laughs> um, I also thought maybe he could. I could see him with uh, – some sort of device that he created to literally slow time around him, either immediately or universally. I don't know how, how, <laughs> what the scope of that could be, but at least something to, since often what it takes for him to get out of a jam is to sit, apply his mind, and then actually do some physical work to allow him to do that in a split second rather than, you know, the many minutes it would take. So getting to that point and having something like that. Um, but all of this, of course, is either in conjunction with or after uh, completely crushing the entire undead nation of Thay. Uh, you know, with a preferably construct army to reduce casualties of any others. But I'm sure, you know, I could see him, you know, gaining perhaps apprentices to to aid him in, in construction and th- and things like that to eventually avenge the injustice that was done to him and uh, countless others for however many years they've been doing that. Um, so I'd say that's that's it in a nutshell. I will say that I was tempted to start describing how he would, uh, you know, develop some sort of ability to regenerate himself and possibly have some sort of time-traveling device as well as, you know, Cesar being surrounded by you know, a, a female companion, pretty much constantly a young female companion, having maybe a, a tool that uh, worked as a, a screwdriver, but lots of other functions Magic as well. Magic redhead with a tassel and... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I I steered away from that, but I just wanted to let you know I entertained the notion okay. at least. So a couple questions for you. Go. Would you view Cesar as a conqueror? Nope. He's... Um, seen the what subjugation and you know power can do to those underneath it and he feels no need to rule over anything or anyone he uh is certainly happy to work with and like i said apprentices and things like that but it would be you know most likely those would be 
<laughs> eager volunteers that he wouldn't even really seek out. Uh, he, okay. there's literally, th- that's pretty much the antithesis of Caesar, I would say. What then would his mindset be towards, you know, what's his attitude towards the, uh, mechanical creations that he makes? Um, I would, I think he's a little bit, I guess it would depend on what level of autonomy he would be able to pr- pr- um, give to them. So far, at least, he everything basically is sort of like how I described it with the uh, box opening device that he created. It's sort of a computer program where it serves a particular function, and there's not really an AI involved. Uh, but I would say if it were come, would come to that, it would be more as an ally rather than as, uh, you know, so they're not they're they're not viewed as viewed as slaves or just tools. I mean, the Caesar's mechanicians. The the simpler ones are absolutely one hundred percent tools because he's very logical about what he creates. But like I said, if it were to get into sentience and things like that, it would, it, you know, he would, you know, perhaps even I could even see him programming in specific like it, ways of allowing them if they wish to leave and live a life like putting that sort of into their their clockwork brains and things like that um yeah there there would be no sort of power structure within that i would say uh second to last question Mm. what if cesar had absolutely going forward in life had no power no money pretty Mm. much just had himself as dirt poor doesn't make a difference in the world, Cesar. Um, he would uh, work, he would do jobs for people so that he could keep himself uh, supplied with drink, uh, good company, uh, the the pleasures in life that you, you imagine are free to most anybody who, again, aren't, you know, kept as slaves or things like that, but any free person, no matter what station they're at, can at least, you know, Hopefully get, find themselves in, in some way to get, you know, a good meal, good drink, good, good company, things like okay. that. And of course, this is out of character information for everybody else, but what does Cesar think of the party? Hmm. As a whole or individually or both? Up to you. Okay. Uh, well, he is. Tool or friends type thing? Um, definitely, definitely friends. Uh, he sees joining with them as a sort of means inter- to integrate himself back into society as a free man. Uh, he sees that he's impressed and happy with generally how, uh, if you just want to use a simple term of good, they are. Uh, he's been exposed to a lot of selfishness, greed, evil in his life, and the fact, especially, uh, you know, uh, Thorn's motivations, at least on the surface, are kind of shrouded, but Mithrin and, and Xanatari both seem to be sort of do-gooders for the sake of doing good, and that's not necessarily something that he shares. Uh, he does have a streak of selfishness in him, Uh not to the point where I don't think he would do explicit harm to someone, you know, maybe, uh, 
he takes a little bit more than his fair share sometimes, but he wouldn't completely leave someone out, uh, you know. If... A little bit more? Hey, <laughs> who said that? Nobody. Right. Somebody's got to fund the pension. It's not It's not your conscience or anything. Okay. <laughs> Just as an aside, I, I, I think based on what you said, I think it would be very interesting if the young Cesar that Cesar met back in Mirror Mirror, uh, I forget what the episode number is, but go back and listen to it because I'm proud of that one, um, was actually sort of like a Warforge body. Yeah. Or something along those lines. That would have been really neat. So in the brief moment that has passed, um, Cesar, to you, it, it feels like you've gone on for a good couple hours. Uh, you know, you've really poured out your soul. Uh, you don't feel that anything was taken from you or added to you or manipulated. Um, you don't feel like a different person, anything else like that. Uh, you know, things are where it's supposed to be as much as they can be as a 75 year old. Uh, the vizier releases your hand mm-hmm. and informs you that uh, your examination is complete and that you have an appointment at the loom. And he uh, takes a portion of the gold, quickly counts it out. You know, he's got slots that fill all this stuff and, you know, very easily done. Mm-hmm. Takes your portion of the platinum and uh, the rest of the bag is still sitting on his table. Mm-hmm. Again, to everybody else, it looks like a wonderful table, except to Mithrin. Um, you are allowed, you are sort of given the, the hand gesture that you're able to stand up and so forth. And the vizier looks around the room to the remaining three of you. Your friend appears to have made payment enough, slurp, slurp, for the rest of you. He is either generous or, no, I don't say foolish, but there's different levels of generous. (laughs) Who is next? Um, I guess I will. How about the okay. emperor over there? <clears throat> Thorn. You are yep. warmly, darkness, warmly invited to um, sit in this chair. Again, everything that you see around here, aside from, you know, that one little glitch with the, the windows kind of thing, you know, this place is still butter. Yeah. So, um, you're also invited to sit in the chair and take hold of the vizier's hand for the test. Okay. Well, uh, I say that Cezor walked away. All right. Um, no, no harm was done. No face was uh, melted. So uh, <laughs> no bait was the baited. The had approved him. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess with some hesitancy, I take the vizier's hand. Okay. The same sort of questions that I asked Cesar go to you. This is your time in the spotlight for the episode. Okay. So um, I guess you might have to repeat the questions because I was a little bit busy uh, working on some stuff for, for Thorn. But basically, um, 
what makes Thorn. Well, Thorn was uh, abandoned by his pack at a very, very young age, so um, he's never really known his place in the world, which has sort of made him cautious, uh, wary, um, and left him really ill-prepared for for what he really has to face. Um, Sort of like a child... That's uh, that's an orphan in like you know the French Revolution. They they didn't really have a family to go to. They could never really be adopted, and they basically had to turn to their own skills for self survival. Um, which is really how he sort of ended up. He he only reacts via instinct. He doesn't really know any better. He hasn't been taught better because no one has ever shown him what is right and wrong. So when he acts, um. He only acts according to what he knows. He doesn't know what's morally right and morally wrong. Killing someone in order to escape is right to him because he needed to survive at that time. Um, again, that's where his sort of thieving nature and his pickpocket nature comes from because he's always had to take from others who have had more in order to sustain himself. So, um, yeah, that's that's really just the more serious side of of uh, Thorn. Um, the re- the reason his name is Thorn is because he was raised in the wilderness, um, raised in nature, and he's always seen that the thorn is a, a defensive mechanism that plants have had in order to survive to stop predators from consuming them. So he sort of adopted that name, um, which I'll get into a little bit later. Um, his goofy attitude. Um, which we all know and love, is actually really just a, a self-defense mechanism. Um, it disarms those who are around him. Um, they they don't see past the goofy attitude. They think he's just a bit of an idiot, doesn't know better, but really it disarms people um, to distract them from his true purpose and his true nature, um, which is, again, survival. Um, when he was a little bit older, he uh, he joined the cult that you guys you know, obviously don't know about, but is there in his past, um, hunting for relics because this is the first true form of family that he's ever actually known. Um, because they encouraged his skills, the, the skills that he learnt from thievery and, and having to survive. Um, you know, they encourage him to use those to, to gain relics and, um, you know, through that, they then sort of, he gets that approval that he needs and craves, um, that he didn't get at, uh, in his younger years. Um, he uses, uh, a bow, uh, because again, that comes from him having to survive. He always used to sit in the wilderness and see these people with these strange weapons, um, you know, shooting deer and wild animals so he could, they could kill and, and eat and, and live. Um, finding his first bow uh, after an unfortunate hunter decided to uh, shoot a bear and, you know, didn't quite live. Um, the bear won. Um, so, yeah, he, he sort of took that, that fractured, shattered bow and, and repaired it, you know, using his skills to, uh, to sort of, again, survive. Um, he has a, a real affinity with nature, as you can tell from his name. Um, he's roamed for most of his life, even though he's been part of, he's part of this cult. They never stayed in one place. So he's always been roaming and they've, and he's always been taught, you know, these are the places that are, that are, that are a safe haven. So, um, you know, from that connection with nature, 
and roaming, he sort of gained the powers of a seeker, and he doesn't actually realize that he's a seeker, that he's a guardian of nature. Um, it's almost like um, he's been favored by a god, but doesn't even realize that he has these powers. They're just, again, something that he's grown with and, and used to survive. So, um, yeah, he he basically has these powers, but doesn't understand that he has a greater purpose. He's not meant for this dark cult. He's meant to guard nature as a seeker, to to provide the vengeance, or you know, the be the warlike aspect of nature, to to gain vengeance for for nature. Um, and he doesn't really realize that yet. Um, Aside from that, from what he knows, he, he seeks greatness, um, using anyone or anything to, to get on top, um, and to, to get what he wants. Uh, he wants the recognition, um, that he never received as a child. So it's a very, very sad and dark story. Um, there isn't very much upbeat to it because he hasn't really ever known that, that sort of aspect of life. Um, and it's something that he certainly craves, which is why he goes out of his way to, take coin and take um, money uh, in order to what he thinks buy. Uh, he feels that he can buy these things that, that, that are purchasable. You know, he can buy the love of a woman. He can buy a house and all the meat that he wants and all the food that he wants. And he doesn't have to, uh, he doesn't have to, to suffer like that anymore. Um, as for why he protects the cult and he hasn't shared it with his um, fellow members is because of that need for family. He's protecting his family. He doesn't understand that these people are just using him. So that's why he hasn't shared why he's in a cult, because he protects his family. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I've got. Okay. So does Thorn even worry about these relics and you know whatever he may have collected in the past, uh, bits and bobs and stuff, and he turns into the cult? Does he ever worry about where that is going to be applied or who that's going to be applied against? No. Um, basically, a relic is just a relic. It's a piece of material put together in a pretty fashion. Um, because he doesn't have those morals that you know other kids grew up with, um, he was never told off by adults that were around him because he was never surrounded by adults or other members of his pack. He doesn't understand what is morally right and wrong. So, you know, these artifacts, for all he knows, are being used to make the family bigger or, you know, protect the family to to make sure that none of the people that he knows within the cult um, are injured or harmed, um, even though this cult belongs to a very, very dark and evil cult. So, um, yeah, he, he doesn't really concern himself about what the relic does or you know, what it can do or the powers that it, it has. He just is concerned uh, of pleasing his family um, and that if that means, you know, tracking down a really hard-to-find relic or stealing it from one of his party members, then he'll do so. What about, uh, what says, I mean, would Thorn be a conqueror or what if, you know, Thorn had no money, no cash, dirt poor, just, it was just Thorn and he didn't make a difference in the world? Um... He would go out and he would seek money. He would, like, he, it, it's basically the sort of, um, background that he's come from. Being dirt poor and being, you know, um, having no money, he basically went out and he found it. He, all the money that he's ever had was ill gotten. Um, 
in order to get him to this, his current position. So um, he would definitely go out and find it, and if that required stealing it or you know killing for it, then he would he'd more than likely do it, um, because that stems from stems from that that core element of just not knowing what is right and what is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, that that can it, it really twists his perception on what other people see. He he basically sees what he does as survival, not as a morally right or a morally wrong action. Deep down, is the party now more family to him than the cult, or is the cult still family because they have actually given him accolades instead of the party seeing him as a goofball? Or I know Xanatari's been making attempts along with uh, Mithrin to sort of, they, they understand that there's something beyond the goofball. Um, you know, who, who, win, who wins out right now? You've, you can decide life or death for the party between them or the cult. Right now, um, it's a little bit conflicted. Um, certainly, he he has these protective feelings towards the cult, but these people have shown him that there's more to life than just killing and stealing. That you know, there's a, a, a true purpose that can be gained from using his skills, and that he can he can be more. Um, However, there's still that feeling that these people are just tools in the long run, that they will just, you know, they're just another step on the ladder. So, um, you know, he's just being honest that these people, um, I guess they're friends, but they're not family. They're not, they haven't really made that attempt to get to know him more, to probe beyond that, that shield, that wall that he puts up, um, that everyone else sees. Um, so, it's conflicted. Um, he certainly sees them as, um, like friendly group, um, and someone that he could, you know, belong to in the long run. Um, if they can break down that wall that he's put up around himself. Um, but yeah, it, I guess definitely, uh, the cult is, is more so still family than, um, than the group. Okay. I apologize, by the way, for any background noise. I'm actually recording, uh, I'm out of, uh, town this week so there's some noise in the hotel um thorn that is all well and good but i asked you somewhat of a specific question there is life or death you must choose between the party or the Mm -hmm. cult who would you choose probably the cult okay very good thorn heard that right <laughs> Thorn, Said your hand that part is... out loud. <laughs> Thorn, your hand, your hand is released. Um, like Caesar, you feel that nothing was implanted, uh, changed, modified, taken, etc., etc. And you are given the same notice that your examination is complete, and that you too, likewise, have an appointment at the loom. Portion of money is taken. And then the gaze between Xanatari and Mithrin. You are at liberty to reject if you wish. <clears throat> Up to you, Xanatari. No, I, it seems like they haven't been harmed in any way, and we're not going to get any further unless we play the game. So I think, yes, uh, Xanatari would be willing. Okay. Xanatari... 
by the way, your um, psychic attack ability, um, your short circuit, otherwise known as the DM's foil, is not mm-hmm. firing. There's, you know, you're not feeling like you're under attack at the moment. Okay. Okay. You are invited to sit down. The vizier hand, you know, extends his uh, very well-ringed, well-appointed hand to you and invites you to take it. I would be less hesitant than I believe Cesar has been because I don't really know what he is other uh, than he's creepy. So okay. I think I would take it. And Okay. Your uh, <coughs> psychic block does not kick in. Um, okay. but uh, same series of questions towards you. Okay. Um, Xanatari's motivations, is that what we're looking for? What, you know, uh, how does Xanatari account for Xanatari? Uh, being a Kalishtar, Xanatari has a dual soul, which means that um, the Kalishtar are a humanoid race, and they have... Um, half a soul from their humanoid race and half a soul from the quarry. The quarry are spiritual beings that ended up a long time ago kind of melding with the Adar and um, the way that works is that the same-sex parent will pass down the spirit of the quarry and all of their knowledge to their same-sex child. So in my case I do have a brother and my father has passed down his spiritual heritage knowledge to him and I've gotten mine directly from my mother. So Xanatari is a lot closer to her mother than she is her father. Um, she's the one who trained her in fighting styles and basically raised her uh, almost exclusively. Uh, Xanatari has two motivations. Because she has this collective heritage of memories from Quarry thousands of years ago, she feels a selfish need to add to those memories uh, from her own experiences. So she's out in the world hoping to kind of put those aside, uh, use them, but put them aside and add to the collective memories, uh, make her mark on the things that are going to be passed down to her daughter. So she's trying to experience new things by leaving the society, going out into the world and uh, fighting the darkness. And that's the second motivation for Xanatari. Uh, she is a, a war priest and a devotee of the Quartarai, which is the god of the Kalashtar. And the Quartarai kind of manifests for her as a storm god. That's the aspect that speaks to her the most. So the belief, her belief, is that the evil in the world is trying to prevent the age from coming to an end and turning over into a good and uh, joyous age. And so for her to go out and do good works and to help people and to um, make a difference, that helps to continue the age and make the age turn over so that the next age will be much more pleasant than this current one. The, the bad thing about that, the dark cloud on that is that once this age ends and the next age of of plenty begins, the Quartari, which is the current god of the Kalashtar, will implode and explode. And so she will lose the storm god who she serves right now and a new Quartari will be created. So it's sort of a double-edged sword in the sense that um, she is working towards helping this age turn over, but at the same time, she has a lot to lose when it does. 
Um, for her, the the Kalishtar are very uh, tall and sort of angular and very mind-connected and mental, a lot of mental going on there. And to encounter the party currently is a very different change for her. Um, she doesn't really have the back-and-forth mental discussions and mental clarity that she has with her own people. Um, she's encountering people that look a lot different and have different uh, alignments than she's used to, per se. And so she's out there, you know, hoping hoping to make a name for herself, hoping to bring something back of value to add to the collective memories of the Kalashtar. Okay. Does she in any way see herself as a conqueror, a leader, uh, something like, you know, the, a pinnacle of power? Uh, not a leader. She hopes someday when she's old to be regarded as an elder and to have uh, the others and the children come to her to seek her wisdom and have that kind of respect. Uh, so she wants to go back there having earned that respect, and that's what she looks forward to kind of at the retirement age when her adventures are over. Okay. Is she is she willing to do stuff that uh, requires climbing on other people's backs? No, I wouldn't say climbing on other people's backs, but I would say that she's learned by being with the party that uh, she that things are not necessarily as black and white as she has known in the past. Sometimes certain actions don't fall under the good nor evil category, and so uh, some of the antics of Cesar, she, she's undecided on how to, to classify and to deal with. What about Bert? Is uh, Bert viewed as her as just kind of a tool or maybe some sort of wayward soul, given form? You know, what, what's her kind of thing? Because, you know, she spends an awful lot of time with Bert. Yes. Bert is kind of viewed as uh, with affection and like he is a favorite pet. She does acknowledge that he's intelligent and possibly has equal uh, mental aptitude to herself, but she kind of looks at him like uh, a little kid or, you know, an excited uh, two-year-old, uh, regardless. Okay. Now, what if Xanatari had none of these things? You know, she doesn't gain, you know, she's going to gain memories, but what if the memories she gains aren't, the, you know, the best? She's got nothing really to show for it. By the time she reaches retirement, you know, she hasn't made a mark on the world. You know, what? What? where's Xanatari and that sort of thing? Well, to sit down and do nothing would be, in her mind, surrendering to the Dreaming Dark and basically just helping to fight against her people. So she would never do that. She would go out and seek uh, minor tasks that could be done. Most likely, she would go out and uh, try to do what she could, but she would probably die. Uh, mm -hmm. if, she, if she didn't have the party and if she wasn't uh, on a quest right now, she would probably try to solo something that was well beyond her ability and die. Okay. Now... You bring up the party. Uh, as before, how do you view the party? Xanatari looks at Mithrin as though he's very familiar. Um, she can sense his good intentions and his um, pure uh, attitude. She does feel like at some point they may butt heads, and she's a little bit wary of the fact that somehow she's been elected de facto leader of the party, and she feels that he's a very strong personality, and at some point they may have a disagreement on where they're headed next. So she is aware of that, but at the same time understands his motivations and feels familiar with him. Uh, as far as Cesar, uh, 
she has no concept of what slavery is or that people could do that to another person. And really, it's more of an abstract concept for her. So she doesn't really have understanding of where he's from. Mm -hmm. um, she kind of sees him as a mischievous, uh, you know, those elders that that you have that kind of uh, begin to have aging minds. And, uh, you know, you can imagine as a in a culture where there's a mental connection that Sometimes the banana squirrel, funny, funny hat, just things that come out of people's minds. <laughs> so she just regards him as possibly aging to the point where some of his stuff is just uh, odd. Um, but she is taking some of his actions and studying him. She did play along with his ring theft and uh, is beginning to maybe gray some of her perfect good intentions. <laughs> with him. Uh, as far as Thorn, she has a very uh, strong attraction and repulsion to him at the same mm -hmm. time because he's extremely different than anything she's ever encountered before. He's smelly and wolf-like and, uh, you know, she, he's not one of the... The Calistar guys run around without shirts a lot and they have billowy clothes and, and you know, they're very <laughs> tall and angular and he's very much not that. Um, and he's saucy and all the other things that uh, he's kind of an enigma to her, so he fascinates her. But at the same time, she doesn't understand his thievery or his um, kind of selfish attitude and his loner uh, persona. So she has a very, uh, I guess, love-hate relationship with him right now. Okay. And finally, hooker by crook, you've been sort of thrust into the... Elder stateswoman, leader, kind of, mm, to some degree, the motivator. I think maybe Cesar is more of the hurry up and get things done motivator. But you've, you've been sort of put forth as the forward-facing character for the party. Uh, how does Zanatari feel about that? I think she was a little overwhelmed at the beginning. Uh, suddenly we had party members leave and she was looked to to make decisions she does tend to as we've seen just walk right into battle without really planning or she kind of uh does what she wants to do and expects people to follow anyway zombies what zombies <laughs> what i thought bert would kill them yeah uh mm -hmm. so so perhaps that's why but I think she's eased into it and feels good about that because that's where she wants to be eventually. She wants to be one of the elders. She wants to be respected. She wants to be seen for the wisdom and accumulated knowledge that she has. So I think she kind of regards it as a step up to where she wants to be. You've been with the party, the original party, um, since the Keep of the Shadow fell. You gazed into the heart of potentially, you know, the heart of terror based on Orcus and that whole thing, you now see the uh, world changing around you for some reason. Um, there's some events going on. Does Xanatari know the concept of horror? Say it again, New England boy. <laughs> horror. Does she know horror? Um <clears throat> you know, she she's looked into what has apparently been told, you know, is is a is a dread god some manifestations of it. She's seen like all these, you know, undead and stuff. Is there something that can get her to drop her mace or drop her sword and hit the hills? 
For her, the concept of the skeleton uh, paladin locked forever in the keep um, would probably really upset her because what would be the worst thing for her ever is to um, have no connection to her heritage and to have nothing to pass on to the next generation, to have no contact um, with them. So to be stuck, you know, endlessly alive, but yet a skeleton and not be able to continue in, in the form that they kind of have immortality uh, by passing on all their knowledge, that would be the worst thing that could happen to her. Okay. Um, there is, as your hand is released, a slight rumble of thunder in the back of your mind. There is nothing taken from you. Uh, your thing doesn't, uh, fire off. Your power doesn't fire off. Bert still seems, you know, agitated, but he's been agitated for a while now. And you are told that your accounting is complete. You have passed examination and you too have an appointment. Is there anything that you wish to do, um, before getting up from out of the chair or when you get out of the chair and let's then see if Mithrin wants to while the money's being counted. Since I'm so close, I would like to roll a perception because I realize that Cesar and Mithrin see something that I don't. Mm -hmm. And I want to know what that is. Okay. Go ahead. As you release the hand... Um, you're not sure if it is just having sort of outpoured yourself or your actual perception, but you see this creature sitting across from you. You see everything that there is to see, um, in the scene. Again, none of your attacks, you know, no nothing that is attacking you has gone off. And you don't see change, but you, you do see the room for exactly as it was described in the last episode and the creature before you. Okay. Do I have an ability to get anything back from this one-way communication that's happening right now? Um, in this case, the, the spell that was used or in, in the psionic that was used, it was um, accounting towards you. So it was a one way. Um, you could use your mind link if you wanted to send communication to it, but uh, there wasn't the reverse pass of, of you two sort of sharing memories. But if you want to do something creative with a mind link or something, I'm, I'm willing to listen to whatever you may have as an idea. Let me understand what I'm seeing, because I, I know that there is a servant and he's having his slurp slurp issue, and the person that I have been uh, touching is the flare. It's the mind flare, and uh, I, I hate to cheapen the image, but um, the easiest way to do it is sort of think of like um, Bane from the latest movie, Batman movie, or maybe I've Hannibal Lecter. I know what they look like. Well, they've got the, the, the squid things. This one actually has something, a mask, that it is put in place around its 
Mao is kind of like, you know, one of the Cobra commandos from the old G.I. Joe days sort of thing. Okay. There's there's a locked in thing that is preventing wherever the mouth or the beak or stuff. It, it's like, you know, the, the tentacles are all kind of savage looking, you know, roughed up and so forth. But this is clearly in um, kind of a, a, a prison situation. It, you know, it, it's been locked down in U.S. prisons or whatever. If someone's a spitter, they'll have to wear the face mask. There's whatever's being taken care of to prevent this thing from trying to do whatever mm-hmm. appears to be what's taken place but um the food source you know apparently the thing's still got to eat um but you can clearly see tattoos you can clearly see the chains you can see how it's bound what you and i don't know if this is a skill lack of skill or knowledge or something along those lines you don't see what appears to be a psychic damper normally these things are heavily psionic Mm mm-hmm um, but again, you have not been attacked psionically. Does it read to me as good or evil? <sighs> it reads to you in sort of the edge of evil, but with a degree of hope. Not in a malicious sense. Okay. I think I would recoil from it because I'm awfully close, and uh, I understand it didn't hurt me, so I'm I'm not gonna be too extreme on that. But I'm going to I'm not going I'm going to have distaste for it and not want to stand closer. Um, there's sort of a repentant attitude about the thing. You know, it's not trying to fight, but there are things in the world and sometimes it takes, you know, the wind and the water a long time to wear down a stone. And it looks like there's been a lot of wind and water on this stone for quite some time. I would just Uh, realize what a huge chance we've taken and probably be slightly overwhelmed and step away. Okay. The mind flare vizier is aware that you have seen again, you don't know if it's your perception or it dropped the illusion as maybe a sign of respect or it just, it just did. Um, it is aware that you see it and it makes no effort to hide itself. There's not, you know, there's, there's nothing like a kind of a foggy sense that it's trying to re put the illusion back in place or anything like that. It's like, okay, you know, this is it. The other one may have looked a lot nicer, but here's the truth. Um, so you back away, as you said, anything else before we kind of eyeball Mithrin through the Skype window? I have issues with the slaves, but I'll deal with it after. Okay. Mithrin, your dulcet tones, my friend, you have seen Xanatari apparently not see something, then perhaps see something. You know that Cesar is seeing probably what you're seeing and uh thorn is probably uh still oblivious to the whole thing but um your turn for the examination if you so choose all right well uh 
before I approach the chair, I'd like to take out the my storyteller staff and mm-hmm. have that in hand. And I'd like to come up to the chair and, and look at the mind flare and say, I see you. Mm-hmm. I'm the, not taking your test. Okay. The vizier nods and looks the staff up and down. Looks you up and down and looks at the others and then looks back to you. You have passed the examination. You have an appointment at the loom. And from what I sense, perhaps from this meeting, you have found some inner strength that you have been searching for on your quest. Bonus. (laughs) (laughs) You and your stick. Yep. Um, Stick ever. There was some hesitation that you've had in the past. There's been some kind of, you know, why are you doing this thing? Uh, you know, you've, mm-hmm. you've kind of gotten some more confidence along this line. And this especially, I, I sense, uh, at least from listening to you in the past, this is sort of Mithrin putting on the even bigger boy pants and standing yes. up instead of just being like, I am going to do this because I have to. Okay. We missed Ms. Mithrin's story. <laughs> well, see, the thing is, I actually had, uh, you know, just as this is out of character, but I actually had three different ways to get out of the story thing. So, <laughs> which was very good. It's too bad I never got to use either of them, any of them. But anyway, Chata Chata Pumpkinado. Mm-hmm. Perfectly fine. Um, now that all except for Thorn, see what's going on. There is the vizier gestures, uh, kind of lists for those that you can see it. Uh, it's the heavily chained hand that can only move a little bit. There's a gesture made and a minotaur, um, appears to be of reasonably good station compared to the others approaches you, bows and says that he is going to Accompany you to your next appointment. Any questions to the Minotaur? Lead the way. Okay. Zenatari, for now, let's take us out. Thank you for listening. You can find out more at deathd4dishonor.com, subscribe on iTunes, and find us on Twitter at deathd4, and now at signalsmedia.com. Please take a listen to the Gray Area Podcast about advice and interviews and relationships between gamers and the Super Number One Podcast with Kevin and Andrew. One topic, two geeks, several beers. One at Gray Area Podcast and the other at supernumberone.libson.com or both at signalsmedia.com. <laughs> Join us for a worldwide adventure. Stay tuned for next week as we continue our travels. This podcast is a part of the Signals Media All-Star Network. For more information on this and other fine shows, go to signalsmedia.com. It's okay to stick our stuff in your ears. Really?